plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star. Are you are the party starts now? And boy, does it! Hello, power partners. Welcome to Star Style. Be the star you are. We are going to jump right into this party because I have a fabulous guest with us, Jennifer Steele, and she is coming to us from London via Uzbekistan. Her book just debuted literally yesterday. It's called Exile Music. And she's an award-winning author. She's done other off uh, another novel, The Ambassador's Wife, and she's done a memoir, The Woman Who Fell from the Sky. And she's a journalist, and so it's going to be so exciting to talk to her. Welcome, Jennifer, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, for I am me. just thrilled. I mean, first of all, tell us a little bit how the Uzbekistan to London, because I know that your husband is. Um, works uh, is an ambassador works for the foreign service what he, he is um yes my my husband uh tim is currently the british ambassador to uzbekistan and um the foreign office uh the foreign and commonwealth office for whom he works uh recently about a month ago evacuated my daughter and and me from uzbekistan um i think they were afraid if if we came down with uh the virus going around that Uzbekistan wouldn't have the right medical facilities for us. Um, but we very much wanted to stay in Uzbekistan, not least as we wanted to be with my husband, who of is still course. there. Mm. Well, you know, getting uh, saying about that, the book that you wrote, Exile Music, it starts obviously in Austria and it is World War II, the time of the Nazis. It, it ends up in Bolivia, where the family that you... Um, your protagonists, they flee, they find refuge there, or part of their family finds refuge there. And one thing that intrigued me so much, Jennifer, was the fact that because you are married to a diplomat, you, your family, you travel every few years. And you actually mentioned something in your bio about how you, you're eventually going to settle in France, but your daughter's like, Oh my gosh! Well, we could. I'll lose my identity. Tell us a little bit about that <laughs> that travel thing, because I'm sure this is part of what helps you in your writing and writing about different places. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, it's it's a wonderful life for a writer, getting to live uh, in countries all around the world, and we've lived some pretty remarkable places. Um, and fortunately, places not a lot of novelists write about, so so that's also convenient. Um, but my daughter, um, who's now ten years old, um, has grown up. She was born when we lived in in Yemen. Um, and then we were evacuated from Yemen. So this is not our first evacuation. Oh, um, goodness. <laughs> and um, so she then we lived briefly in Jordan and then we all came to London. And then then we Tim got a job with the European Union in Bolivia. So we actually lived in La Paz, Bolivia for four years, which is where I met um, some of the, ref the Jewish refugees who came from Europe. 
before and during World War II and their descendants, um, I, I hadn't known that there were between 10 and 20,000 uh, Jewish refugees living in La Paz during the war and that many of them were artists and musicians. And um, so that was, that was really interesting to learn about and then to meet these people almost almost right after hearing this, I I made friends with a, a man named John Galanter, whose mother came from Poland, and uh, just after the war, and he was born in La Paz, Bolivia. So um, I heard some pretty remarkable stories from these people, and it it seemed like they were stories that the broader world should know about. Well, you know what, Jennifer, so fascinating. I mean, I've traveled all over South America and actually did a paper on Bolivia, and that's the one country I've never visited. And so I found it really, really exceptional that um, you wrote about Bolivia, and of course you you lived there, so you experienced it in La Paz and visiting Lake Titicaca, et cetera. But I did not know either that so many refugees had gone to Bolivia. And in reading Exile Music, I think the thing that shocked me as well is after the Jewish diaspora that ended up in Bolivia and other parts of South America, I mean, most people know about Argentina, Brazil, but uh, the fact that so many Nazis after the war ended up there too, and that to me just was frightening. And I have to say that um, I kind of was on Muti's side a lot of the time here. <laughs> right. I mean, I I just imagined the, the terror of thinking you finally found refuge. You finally found somewhere relatively safe, although, you know, nowhere is entirely nowhere safe. Nowhere is safe. Yes. And Bolivia had its own upheavals. Um, but you finally think you've gotten away from the Nazis and then they show up in the middle of the Andes. I mean, uh, one of the refugees, I, oh, well, John, my friend I mentioned earlier, he ran into Klaus Barbie on the streets. Um, he really did. Oh he my really, gosh. He really did. I mean, that's oh where I, I got the idea for that, that for scene. For that, that scene. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Although, um, I think you, what you indicated in your acknowledgments that, that no guards died as far as you know. <laughs> that, that's correct. That's correct. And actually there was a guard with him when, when my friend John ran into him on, on the streets of La Paz. Um, you know, I can't imagine how anyone would feel because first of all, knowing, having, you know, just reading about what happened during and before World War II and then after World War II, it is unimaginable to me the horror and the cruelty that one human can bestow upon another. And the shocking thing about it in your book, you have Annalise, who is her very best friend, you know, and and more, uh, <laughs> which, but her parents, who was were wonderful at one point, then end up literally turning on these neighbors that they've had and turning them in, taking over their home, et cetera. And that just made me so fearful about what's happening today because I feel like there's a rise in this white supremacist and how did Hitler become so magnanimous in the first place? And uh, your your book just is exile music. Um, we want to get to the music part in a moment. What was so lovely about it was the fact that there was art and music that kept some of the people sane, like like her dad, because without something beautiful in life, I mean, there wasn't much 
to live for. Um, that that's true. I think, I mean, music plays a huge role in the book, as you know, and the, the way each member of Orly's family, um, relates to music affects how well they adapt to Bolivia. Her, her father, who was a viola player in the Vienna Philharmonic, um, and was expelled when the Vienna Philharmonic expelled all 13 of its Jewish musicians. And most um, of them died too. Correct. Yes, I mean, most, uh, yes. as far as in your book. Yes. Yes, they they most of them died, and a few um, ended up in exile, and none of them ever returned to the Philharmonic, um, which which still employed Nazis until 1967. So, um, don't you find that just mind boggling? The research that you did for this book, and if, if listeners are just joining my, us, we are talking about the book Exile Music. The research had to have taken years and years and years because it's very in-depth. Tell us about your background research. Oh, gosh. There were so many different kinds of research um, that I did. In addition to interviewing um, some of the the survivors and their descendants, I also did a lot of reading of first-person accounts, people who lived in Bolivia at the time, who lived in Austria at the time. I had to look into what kind of ship they would have crossed on, where they would have left from. Um, in addition to living in Bolivia for four years, I visited Vienna. I visited Genoa to so that I would know what the what the what Genoa looked like as they were leaving Europe for the last time. I watched YouTube videos on how to cook over a kerosene burner, so I could imagine exactly how the mother cooked and what that would look like. What it would look like? Yeah, it's. I mean, you really went to to all ends to do this. But I think the most interesting research is, are the people in Bolivia itself. And uh, you make a point of, of pointing out how the indigenous people of Bolivia were not even citizens, couldn't vote, couldn't, you, couldn't own land, none of that. And it just felt so similar to what's happened to indigenous people all around the world, how colonialism, we just take away their land and act as if they never were part of it. Did you find, because you, when you lived in Bolivia, you actually um, made friends with lots of the, am I saying it right, Amara people? Is that? Aymara. Aymara. Yeah. Um, Yes, tell us, tell us about, I know now it's probably changed, but of course the governments are always changing. So uh, your conversations with them, uh, tell me a little bit more about those people and some of their traditions and how that impacted exile music. Well, I think, I mean, there's a lot of racism all over the world, of course, but um, uh, there's a very clear caste system, like in so many places, it seemed to me that the paler you were, the more likely you were to be in a position of power. And the darker skin you had, the more likely you were um, to be uh, not in a position of power. And doesn't that seem to be universal? It seems like no matter where you go, whether it's India or um, any place in Asia, it seems that that's, that is ubiquitous. It is a it is a horrifying truth about our societies um, that that racism is so deeply ingrained in these societies. I mean, and we and colonialism, of course, is at the root of many evils. And um, uh, among them, you know, the way that the the Spanish treated the native indigenous Bolivians, um, and you know, we. Um, 
the IMRET was really interesting to me that a lot of the Bolivians blended their religious beliefs. So the Catholicism that came from Spain was blended with some of the the indigenous beliefs in Pachamama, Mother Earth, and um, for example, there's a God of Plenty, Akeko. Um, there's there's a festival dedicated to him um, every year, and and people buy tiny miniatures of all these of anything like tiny miniature books and furniture and little tiny foods and little tiny, and you, you bought, you pick up a little tiny miniature of something that you want to have in your life. Like if you want to have a baby, you buy a little miniature baby and a keko will, will, will bring it to you. Um, and I loved how you incorporated that in, into the book. Does that still go on today? I mean, oh, because you even said that there was like a little newspaper and, and Miguel bought, a six pack of beer. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. That was so fascinating to me that these miniatures could be created. They must be just beautiful. They are beautiful. And some of the craftsmanship is exquisite and it, it does still go on. Um, there are beer cans as well as passports and wheelbarrows and, um, and marriage certificates and marriage certificates and death. I mean, there is all that stuff I mentioned. That's all there. And it was my daughter's favorite holiday because, you know, children love little tiny things of and, course. you know, you can buy little suitcases full of banknotes and <laughs> miniature and well, let's talk for a moment. I'm sorry, I'm just jumping around, but it's a big book and it's a lovely yes. book, Jennifer. But the characters of Orly and Annalise, they have been friends since uh, birth. They've they have created this land, Friedenglukasenland. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. Uh, Right. My, I, I don't actually, I'm not a German speaker myself, so I'm not going to correct your pronunciation yeah, of that. Well, I can speak Dutch. Like you, <laughs> when I live in a country, I want to learn the language, but yeah. but I didn't learn German <laughs> for a yeah. lot of different reasons. But <laughs> one of them might have something to do with your book. So, uh, but in any case, their, their relationship, they were just best of friends of finishing each other's sentences and just, you know, just really caring about each other. But it was Annalise's parents that were so brutal to, to, um, to Orly. But also in the book, there is the, um, not much, but a little bit of the fact that Orly was both attracted to women, like Annalise, but, and she was in love with Miguel. So they both were such wonderful, wonderful characters. And what I wanted to ask is, are these characters based on anybody that you knew as far as the relationships go? Um, no. I mean, compendium. Yeah, neither character is is based on any one person. I mean, there are certain parts of Orly's story um, that I drew from some of the interviews I did, but but her essential person is fictional, and Annalise is entirely fictional. The world they created together, their imaginary world, is based on a world my daughter came up with when she was small, and um, I just imagined that girls living in uh, an environment where a noose was tightening around them and the world grew scarier every day might really need to retreat into an imaginary world um, to escape from what the grown-ups were talking about during that time. Um, and it was my daughter who gave me the idea for that, for that world because she had such an elaborate world. Isn't that exciting that your daughter, who is your world, gave you another world that you could actually put into your book? Now, you're working on another novel right now? 
I am. I am. I'm working on, I've just finished the first draft of the next book um, as part of a PhD at the University of Birmingham. Um, and that is also a South American book. And it deals more with revolution um, and art as revolution, but it's, and it's all women, that book. Um, and it's a mostly gay underground. Uh, so that's been really fun to write. And it's totally unlike anything I've ever written. So a fun experiment too. And that's the fun thing I think about writing because you actually are a journalist and now you're writing novels. Do you find one or the other easier to write? I mean, I, cause I've, I've only written nonfiction and I think to myself, I don't think I'd be able to write fiction. It would take me my lifetime. Yes, I think, you know, for me, nonfiction is easier for me. I, because you have, I knew, I know the plot. If I'm writing You know memoir, what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, You've been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you're just, you're organizing it. You're finding a way to write it beautifully. But with fiction, you know, I'm staring at a blank page is, is, is scary and it never gets easier. Never for me anyway. Um, so yeah, I find that much more difficult. Well, I, this is such an incredible book, um, Exile Music. Again, it just debuted. I want you to go to the website, www.jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, and her last name is spelled S-T-E-I-L.net, and you can find reviews. You can get the book. Uh, I'm Obviously, right now, there's not going to be a book tour, but maybe in the future. And then there'll be another book, another novel coming out, which sounds really fascinating. I am so glad you were able to come on the show, even for a short time, Jennifer. And I wish you such success with Exile Music. It um, it, it really, you've just done an incredible job of painting a picture of the horrors of the war. And I think it is a is kind of a, um, what do I want to say? It's so important that we make take a lesson from this and we share kindness and empathy because there are refugees everywhere now and to think that no country would have these people who were dying and only Bolivia opened their doors at the time. It just made me very sad. Yes, and there's a lot of contemporary resonances there. So That's the- exactly right. Exactly right. So, I mean, I think what's going on today in the world, we have to be so careful. We can't let, you know, we just can't let um, hatred and and all kinds of prejudice take over our lives. We have to learn how to get along and be good to one another because it's all we have. So maybe that's why we're all going through this uh, this COVID-19 right now where we have to stay at home <laughs> and and be good and be caring, right? Yes. Well, I'm, I'm doing my best. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Well, uh, much success to you. Again, you so- the book is Exile Music, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-S-T-E-I-L.net. That's the website. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on Star Style. Be the star you are. I know your next book will be as great. And this one is going to be a total success. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Well, it's it's wonderful to have you. You've been listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I'm Cynthia Bryan. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. Don't go away. When we come back, Joanne Rockland will be, uh, be with us, and she has books for children. So 
We'll be talking to Joanna in just a second. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the star. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, we are doing Wednesdays with writers, and it is a power party. And now we are back with a children's book writer. Her name is Joanne Rockland. She's written several books, but she is here today to talk about her newest book, Good Guys, Bad Guys. Welcome, Joanne, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, we are happy that you are here with us. We know that you have written books, including The Five Lives of Our Cat, Zook. You won Golden Kite Awards. Um, you you won the Golden Poppy Book Award. So Good Guys, Bad Guys is a picture book about playing pretend, right? right? And it's right. how we can um, try out being bad or good. And I was hoping right. that maybe what you would do is, since it's a picture book and it's a small book, uh, why don't you go ahead and read the book, uh, read it to us. Would I that would be all that. right? That would be perfect. And I'm going to ask listeners to imagine what the illustrations would look like and know that when I wrote it, I had no idea what they would be like either. I had something in my mind, but um, author and illustrator never confer and they never meet. And so it's as much a surprise to me as to everyone else. So well, and that's something do. that I will, I would love to talk about after you yeah. read the story, because I think Absolutely. it's such an amazing thing how the illustrations, it's like making a movie where you make the movie and then the, the musicians and the composers have to score it. 
And so you don't really know what the music's going to be until it's done or, you know, and so this is how how uh, writing a a children's book is with all the illustrations. So we'll talk about that after. But this is Joanne Rockland. She's going to read Good Guys, Bad Guys. Good Guys, Bad Guys by Joanne Rockland, illustrated by Nancy Carpenter, Abrams Books for Young Readers. Here comes a bad guy, sniffly and slouchy, up at five, sleepy and grouchy. Teeth are missing, hates to brush, really doesn't matter, mostly eats mush. Here comes a good guy, fresh from a shower, squeaky clean, smells like a flower, doesn't eat sugar, loves vitamin A, teeth are brushed 12 times a day. Here come more bad guys wearing pirate clothes, patches on their eyes, warts on their toes. First to steal the treasure, dances to the bank. Last one to burp, has to walk the plank. But here come some good guys, great swimmers all. High dive, backstroke, Australian crawl. Save your life and won't let you drown if you have to walk a plank or your ship goes down. Here come the bad guys, green and scary, smelly, yucky, slimy, hairy. Earth's more fun than outer space, so scare away the human race. But here come the good guys wearing fancy capes. Don't even try it. Nobody escapes. Super guys come swooping, zip, zap, zoom, They'll grab your slimy neck and fly you to the moon. Now come the bad guys, tickling Piggy's ears, snatching all the hen's eggs, rustling all the spears, eating ham and omelets, gooey sugar pies, yee-haw-hawing till the wild wolf cries. But here come the good guys, woo-woo-woo, Capture your heart with a song or two. Tame you all with an awesome story, but they'll only share the ending when you say you're sorry. Goodbye, all you great guys. Time out for bed. My turn to be a good guy, says a sleepy head. Okay, says a good guy. Tomorrow we'll switch. Lights out. Can't tell which is which the end that's so adorable now we have to talk about thank you the illustrations and how you got the idea for this because you know did you um speak with children because ever you know when we're kids we love to play good guys and bad guys right we love to play cops and robbers and or whatever it is that's always really fun so when you yes. decided to do this, did you first, um, did you get the idea from working with kids or did it just come to you? Tell us how the process because, was. Right. I played it. And I think we all did. I am I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. I also am a clinical psychologist and I have been an elementary school teacher. And this is how kids play They um, use this kind of play to confront their fears, and they establish mastery over things 
that scare them. I mean, and they set up a good guy and a villain, and I just realized this is the natural way that they play. And then when they start writing stories, they uh, put these elements into their own stories, even if it's just a narrative, and they love movies like that. So this is very um, much a part of working through uh, your fears in childhood. And with a picture book, because I write novels as well for older kids, the idea sort of has to come all at once. And you face the blank page, um, as I heard your previous guest say, but somehow with a picture book, it comes as a whole, for me anyways, whereas a novel is more of a day-to-day learning through your character. So, yes, you're absolutely right. The idea just jumped into my head, and then I had to figure out a way to um, explore it. But it was all Well, when you're writing up. a picture book, because, yeah. uh, you know, obviously the pictures tell the story as well as the words, are there a certain number of words that you have to have or a certain number of pages? Is there a certain guideline for you? Yes, there is. And um, I love talking about how each genre in children's literature reflects the developmental age of um, the kids who will be reading them. That's why there's such a variety. And most people think that picture books are, you start with a picture book. It's very easy. It's short. You just, you know, uh, jot it down and you've got it. But they are the hardest to write, Cynthia, because really, um, as you intuited, they have to reflect um, the knowledge of the writer of children this age. So first of all, the main thing is they're very short, so they have to be read in one sitting, as, as I just did, because three- to five-year-olds, you know, this is where we learn. They're going to lose interest if it's short. short. Right. right. So they have to be read in one sitting. And there's usually a very simple plot, as you heard, that's based on something every day in the kid's life. And the parent is often a very silent, unseen figure in the background. Um, It's sort of like a rehearsal for separation. It's very, very child-centered, and the main character is always a child, even if it's an animal. It's a child in disguise. So if you, um, and I hope you will, look at the illustrations that the wonderful Nancy Carpenter did for my book, there's no parent in the story except no it's all I mean they're swimming pools and these kids and you know and the toothbrush and the pirates and all of that and at the very they're very fun to look at but how did you pick the illustrator do you know the illustrator an adult hand just the hand at the very end and I didn't tell the illustrator to do this calling them inside the the fun is over, and that's all you see of, of the parent. So, um, and, and then, like you pointed out, it's usually humor because you have to get their attention. You want them to sit and read it. So there's humor, there's surprise, and there's and this is the hardest for me, the hardest part of a picture book. There's an ending that gives a sense of closure. Um, sometimes it's a surprise ending. Oftentimes it's a it's a funny ending. But you get this feeling that that's the only ending that you could have 
the author could have chosen because think about it, the book is used at nap time or bedtime often, and you don't want kids to go off to that scary void called sleep with loose ends hanging. So that ending is important. So it's short, there's conflict, it's child-centered, and there's um, uh, a really good ending. Um, and there's so many other things you want to talk about, too, in, in terms of the, the relationship with um, the illustrator, and I can go on and on unless there's a Well, that's what I wanted to find out, and for people just joining us, we're talking to Joanne Rockland. She, her newest book, a picture book for children, is called Good Guys, Bad Guys. Her website is joannerockland.com, J-O-A-N-N-E, Rockland, R-O-C-K-L-I-N.com. But that's what I wonder. Do you just, how did you choose your illustrator? And do you just give her the words and then uh, he or she, you know, designs around it, draws the photos? come, Or do you work with them? No. um, I have really no choice at all in choosing the illustrator. You submit your poem or your story, um, which is usually just a few pages, double-spaced, and the editor, whose job it is to uh, find the best illustrator possible, is the one that has the vision for your book and chooses the illustrator. So I don't think I've ever once did I meet someone who drew pictures for my books, and I've written a lot of them. They don't want you guys to meet. They don't want they that. Want... That's fascinating to know. Yeah, yeah. you have written right. several several books and yeah. many, many yeah. picture books. And are they yeah. usually all different illustrators then, right? Because you yeah. did Amazing yeah. Morning on Orange Street as well. Yes. Yes, but that didn't have internal drawings, but the cover was done beautifully. Beautiful. Um, but there's a reason they want the, um, and I find this so fascinating, they want the illustrator to have his or her own vision as well. So when you're writing the picture book and you're writing, you try to use lovely language. You, um, if you're writing in rhyme and you have to really know poetry, you can't just write gratuitously and, and hope that clunky verse will, will do it because it's, um, editors will say, please don't send me anything in rhyme. But what they really say is, don't send me bad rhyme. And it's easy to write bad rhyme. But you have to choose your words so that they're spare and beautiful at the same time because you they provide a lot of description, as I hope you heard in, in my right. poem. But you want to give the illustrator a lot of space to to interpret, and sometimes the well, always Nancy Carpenter in this book surprised me on every page, adding things that I hadn't even thought of. Um, and if you get it, really to brought the book, book to life. Illustrations. Well, she just created a whole world that I hadn't thought of. So there is a melding of words and pictures. It's truly a collaborative process because you're dealing with an emerging reader who is going back and forth between the pictures and the words, and they're both equally important. 
in um, creating a reader who's going on to uh, other things with less illustrations. Well, because children become very attached to their books, you know, and uh, uh, usually they start actually pretending that they are reading them because they've been read to so many times that they know each, they know the pictures and then they know the words for what their parents or guardians or babysitter, whoever has said. So that is really fascinating. So now are your books available? They're all online. They can, people can find them at your website. Um, well, and you're also I'm on Instagram, Facebook. On my right. They're I, not on I, your website. On, no, but I urge people because especially at this time, it's yes. easy to order them on Amazon, but the independent bookstores book are stores. struggling. Yes. yes. So what you can do if you have a, a local bookstore that you enjoy and that you frequent that's near you, they almost always have a website um, on which you can order the book. But if you don't know your local bookstore, you um, go to IndieBound.org, and that's I-N-D-I-E-B-O-U-N-D.org. And then you can put in your zip code, and they'll direct you to the website where you can buy any book. Yeah, they'll, they'll direct you to an independent bookstore that will exactly. have it. And you're so right. Bookstores are struggling. Authors are struggling. Everybody seems to be struggling right now, so we That's all have right. to do our part. So, again, the name yes. of this new picture book is Good Guys, Bad Guys. The author is Joanne Rockland. Her website, if you want to just check out all these other books, because maybe what you want to do is order a couple of books while you're ordering one. You can order a couple of different books. And you can find um, the different books at her website and then go to IndieBound.org or your favorite bookstore. Or if you want to go to Amazon, whatever whatever store is best for you, JoanneRocklin.com, J-O-A-N-N-E-R-O-C-K-L-I-N. Well, thank you, Joanne. It just is a very oh, lovely um, a lovely child's book, and uh, I know that you write other things as well, so that's kind of fun that you can jump between genres. Thank you. I'm grateful, and it was very, very um, fun to be on your show. It really was. Thank you for well, asking. I will end. I will end your segment with uh, the thing at uh, with words from your book. Goodbye, all you great guys. Time out. <laughs> or bad. <laughs> My Thank turn you, to be the good guy. <laughs> Says the sleepy head. So lights out. Can't tell which is which. Thank you, Thank Joanne, you for coming much. on Star Style. Be the star. You are My best pleasure. of success Thank you. to you as well with all of your books, not just good guys, bad guys. JoanneRocklin.com. Thank Thanks, Joanne. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. We'll be right back, so don't go away. There is more to come. We're going to talk a little about Mother's Day. Be the star you are. The star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. 
a top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376. 376 Moraga, California 94556 Be the Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business. Well, we're back, and thank you for staying with us. I hope you enjoyed our beginning launch of Wednesdays with Writers. We're going to continue doing this because it's so important right now. We're all together in this, going through this COVID-19 and the sheltering in place. And what has happened is that authors, actors, musicians, all of these, they cannot get any publicity. All their tours and events have been canceled. And so it's a very scary time because you work for years to get, you know, to get to write a book. And then all of a sudden you can't promote it at all. So I thought I would step forward here and I collaborated with the Authors Guild to showcase the new books that are launched by many authors from around the country and around the world. As you heard, Jennifer's Uzbekistan, she's in London. And uh, so we're going to be looking at a lot of different genres. And so for the next few months, just make sure you're tuned in here both to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. We'll be doing Wednesdays with writers. And then on Express Yourself Teen Radio, which airs Sundays at 3 p.m., we're calling it Super Smart Sundays. And so both broadcast right here on the Voice America Network, the Empowerment Channel. And we're going to learn about all these fantastic authors and we'll have musicians and actors uh, and artists. That's the whole idea. It's a it's a giant readathon and it's a kind of a, a big kind of art festival just to keep everybody um, informed and give everybody a little bit of PR. So it's already May. I mean, can you believe that we are actually in week seven of sheltering at home? I'm sure that everybody is now, you know, a gourmet cook. They're expert cleaners. Their garages are organized. They're garden aficionados. They're Zooming and FaceTiming and probably pretty stir crazy because how many shows can you binge watch and not ever get to see friends and stuff? But for as for me, as you know, um, I am doing great, although um, I have been concerned about keeping Be The Star You Are alive after 21 years because there's lack of donations. The government isn't helping nonprofits that are all volunteer like Be The Star You Are, even though we have normal business expenses and we have to run our outreach program. And, you know, when I founded Be The Star You Are in 1998, I chose not to take a salary and not to employ staff so that 
all 100% of donations would totally benefit the programs and the people we serve. But who knew that we'd be penalized for being frugal and sustainably sensible? But there was a silver lining. I was so excited last week. We did get a $500 grant from the Nonprofits Insurance Alliance Gilbert Fund. Um, for our work. This is the insurance company that actually insures our nonprofit. And Robert Gilbert was a former insurance company CEO, and he believed in the work of nonprofits like ours. So we really want to say thank you uh, for that and for Nonprofit Insurance Alliance believing in us. And we also want to recognize Green Air and Nicholas Donzelli for their contributions to Be The Star You Are we were supposed to be hosting the, uh, the what is it called, the Moraga um, Community Fair this week, which is one of our main fundraisers. And of course, it has been canceled. And Nick um, and Green Air were sponsors. So please visit their website, gogreenair.net. If you're thinking about solar or the batteries or any of those things that are sustainable, he's your guy and he, he does travel. <laughs> Has conscience, will travel. I want to just give, uh, say that my heart goes out to all the graduates who aren't going to get to walk in a ceremony or celebrate all the fun rituals of graduation. It's so sad because this is really an incredible day, but we got to find the blessings and the challenges and stay positive and stay safe and stay home. Here in uh, California, uh, different parks have different times. Uh, my daughter's not going to be opening up to the end of June. We may not be opening up till the beginning of June. So anyway, I want people to remember their mothers. It's Mother's Day this Sunday. Uh, possibly make a donation in her name. Um, I know that's all I want besides talking to my kids. I just want a donation to Be The Star You Are. So you can go to bethestaryouare.org if you want to make a donation to your mom for your mom and do it through Be The Star You Are. No matter what you ate, your age, you always need your mom. And while Mother's Day we celebrate on the second Sunday in May is a fairly recent development, the idea goes back to ancient mythology to long ago civilizations of the Greeks and the Romans. The Greeks actually paid annual homage to Cybele, which was the mother figure of their gods, and the Romans dedicated an annual spring festival to their gods. It was in the 16th century England, a celebration called Mothering Sunday was inaugurated. And it was a Sunday that was set aside for uh, visiting your mother. And the eldest son or daughter would bring a mothering cake, which would be cut and shared by the entire family. And then family reunions would happen with sons and daughters, assuming all the household duties and preparing a special meal in honor of their mother. And sometimes during the day, the mother would attend usually some kind of, um, of church service or something. So in 1905, Anna Jarvis, uh, her mother died, and to memorialize her mother, she started campaigning for a national day to honor all mothers. And on May 10th, 1908, a Mother's Day service was held at a church in West Virginia where, mother, where her mother used to teach, and that was uh, the idea of the second Sunday in May here in America. So um, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson signed a bill who designated that Mother's Day, and he dedicated it to the best mother in the world. In other words, your mother. 
So I wanted to just read a little passage from the book I wrote, Be the Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, Learning to Make a Difference. If you're interested, again, you can find it at bookstores or you can go to my website to get autographed copies, CynthiaBryan.com and Brian with an I. And I wrote The Gift of Hosannas. So what is the definition of Hosanna? Hosannas are anything that make you feel special. The skills and resources you enjoy using and glory in sharing, not necessarily for profit. Hosannas are the fuel for being the star of your own life. And they're your unique gifts that connect you with the world. My mother, Alice, is truly the best cook in the world. Her kitchen is her sanctuary. And of course, if you asked her, she'd say it was her mom that was the best cook in the world. And it may be so, but my mother learned to cook from my nanny, which was my maternal grandmother. And so they both win that award. Well, cooking, gardening, and children have always been my mom's three passions. And she molded all three into miracles. For as long as I can remember, my mother grew her own vegetables and herbs to create her delicious dishes, and everything in the kitchen was made from scratch. Rich, meaty, garlicky spaghetti sauces, raviolis, gnocchis, risotto alla milanese, and creamy polentas. Yes, we're Italian. <laughs> we swore that Alice's restaurant was better than any other eatery, and when she rolled pastas wrong, she made malfatis which is the Italian word for mistakes. And the mistakes were our absolute favorite. Nothing went to waste, only to our eager stomachs. Our house was always filled with the delicious smells of mom's kitchen. Her Swiss hot cakes for breakfast were indescribable. Her roasted rosemary lamb with mint and garlic was scrumptious. Garlic and wine went with everything. I mean, when you're Italian, garlic is like an apple, at least a clove a day. And even her tomato and basil salads with olive oil and vinegar were divine. We always fought over who got the pucci pucci, which means to dip the bread in the vinaigrette at the bottom of the bowl. And throughout our childhood and teenage years, our friends made every excuse to be at our house at mealtime. And it didn't matter how many people showed up for dinner, seven or 70, mom always had plenty to go around and could whoop up a feast in no time at all with what seemed like nothing at all. So one of my mom's indisputable hosanna in life was her cooking. And I remember when frozen TV dinners were all the rage and we begged to try them. And to placate us, she would prepare a fresh dinner and serve it on a tin plate. So she was happy when you were eating second and third helpings. And she was enraptured when you expressed contentment. She felt responsibility as the nurturer, the cook, and the feeder of her tribe. And if someone protested that he or she wasn't hungry, mom would immediately offer to cook them something else more to their liking. Manja, manja was her mantra. And along with spices, herbs, and seasonings, she also added that special ingredient that only a mom can add, and that's love. Now, mom's garden was also her hosanna. Nobody grew bougainvillea like she could. The bright fuchsia flowers cover an entire side of the two-story farmhouse where I grew up. Her green thumb is unequaled, and her acre of gardens is always overflowing with magnificent, blossoming specimens. And it's been photographed for magazines. Everyone she knows, from the doctors to the priests to the mailman, receives regular boxes of bounty from her vegetable garden. And in our childhood, our teachers always had fresh bouquets of the most fragrant blossoms from her flower beds. Mom's garden gave her incredible pleasure. And, of course, her children were her art. Mothering was her calling. Not over-mothering, just loving unconditionally and guiding us to a safe and secure childhood. 
I don't think my mom or dad ever missed an activity that we were part of. And most of all, she gave us our, uh, gave us of her time. So when my brother was killed and when my father died, the recipient of her zonas had gone and she wondered why she was needed on this earth. It took time and effort, but with the love of her children and their spouses and her 11 grandkids, she accepted at last that she that we still cherished her and looked forward to seeing her beautiful gardens, tasting her wondrous dishes, and hugging her. And she rediscovered her hosannas. Just remember that each of us is different, and your hosanna can be in any area of your life, your job, your family, your garden, your creativity, your knowledge, your skills, your handiwork. But value your hosannas. You are a unique gift. You are part of purpose in life. Acknowledge them and enjoy the satisfaction you get from sharing them with others. Our hosanna may change occasionally. Things change. People grow. And we need to let go of past applause. And if your hosanna no longer brings you joy, find another. Glory in it. Share it. And congratulate yourself. Sing the praises of others joyfully and recognize and honor their hosannas. And this week, don't forget your mother. Remember, there is only one wonderful mother in the whole wide world. And every child has that mother. Well, thank you so much for being part of Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Make sure you're tuned in every week right here to Voice America Empowerment Station, um, Empowerment Network, the Empowerment Channel from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. We want you to change your life, make your dreams come true, and to read some brand new books that are just hitting the shelves. For more information about Star Style Productions, visit CynthiaBryan.com. If you'd like to support what we're doing for Wednesdays with Writers and Smart Sundays, please make a donation to Be The Star You Are charity. Go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. It's the only way we can keep doing what we're doing and helping others survive. Again, BeTheStarYouAre.org. Our aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. See beyond your physical being and know you are already the star you dreamed of becoming. Cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And read a book this week because a book is like a garden in your pocket. And for adults, I highly recommend Exile Music. And for children, don't forget this wonderful new picture book. Which, which Joanne Rockland wrote, The Good Guys, Bad Guys. Uh, you will love that as well. So until next Wednesday, when we celebrate again, remember that love always wins and kindness will always prevail and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. I thank you and encourage you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self. Have a wonderful week. And remember to read, lead, succeed. To be a leader, you must be a reader. So read a book this week. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, 
entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.